Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure to check out our website to see any upcoming events that we have. We have quite a few this holiday season. Also, be sure to like and subscribe. That way you can see all the content that we have rolling out on YouTube. We hope you enjoy the message. You guys can sit down. It's good to see you. I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, Well, I think it's safe to say that we are officially in the Christmas season. Uh, We have the lights on our houses and we've set up our trees and we've got the decorations out and we're listening to the music and the elves are on the shelves and we're eating popcorn out of those metal tins with pictures of puppies and snowmen on them. And when it really starts to feel like the Christmas season, uh, I'm reminded of something that my sister has said about Christmas. Uh, Her and her family, they don't celebrate Christmas in the traditional way. Uh, They don't set up a tree. Uh, They definitely don't listen to the music. Uh, Their their kids have never really been that interested in gifts. Uh, My sister, she, uh, she calls Christmas forced merriment. And... That makes me chuckle because I think she's actually kind of right in some way. I I mean, if you think about it, when you tell someone Merry Christmas, you're not really making merriment optional for them, are you? Like you're just telling them what they're supposed to feel and what Christmas is supposed to be. Christmas is supposed to be merry and we should feel merry on Christmas. If we're not merry, it's not Christmas. Uh, Another term that we use for merriment is the spirit of Christmas. You should feel the spirit of Christmas. Have you lost the spirit of Christmas? When we talk about being merry or feeling the spirit of Christmas, I think what we're really deep down talking about is the feeling or the state of joy. We should experience joy on Christmas. It's a word on many of our decorations in our homes right now. It's kind of the pass-fail of Christmas. If you experience joy on Christmas, it was a good one. It was successful. Congratulations. But if you did not experience joy on Christmas, it was a dud. It was a disappointment. It's kind of a bummer. You should feel joy on Christmas. You should be merry. You should feel the spirit of Christmas. But even during this time of year... The time of year where joy should be most attainable. It feels so fragile, doesn't it? As if we have to defend it. Something as simple as Uncle Bob showing up for dinner can ruin all hope of joy on Christmas. How powerful is the spirit of Christmas if it can get taken down by Uncle Bob? I was curious. I looked up how many Christmas movies are about saving Christmas, and I stopped counting at 70. I know, almost every single children's franchise has a movie about Mickey saving Christmas, Paw Patrol saves Christmas. The best thing I found was a video game for $3.99 called Cthulhu saves Christmas. I didn't know Cthulhu cared about Christmas, that's pretty great. But it says something, doesn't it, about how fragile joy feels, the spirit of Christmas feels, that Almost every single Christmas movie, whether it's in the title or not, is about rescuing Christmas from something or someone. So because it feels so fragile, we try to defend it. We work ourselves up into a state of joy 
We do all the Christmas things to distract ourselves from our reality and all the things in it that could take our joy away. We put ourselves through this multi-sensory cleanse. We look at the lights and we smell the candles in the tree and we eat the food and we hear the music and we unwrap the presents. But most medical professionals agree that a cleanse doesn't really work. The benefits last only as long as you're on the cleanse. And for those of us who have a good Christmas, who experience a state of joy or merriment, we're the ones that have the hardest time putting the tree away or taking the lights down because it's over. That was it. And it's back to our lives that we were distracting ourselves from. I think there's a double meaning to the spirit of Christmas. Joy sometimes feels like this elusive ghost that comes and goes as it pleases. And if you're lucky enough to catch it, it's there for just a moment, but as soon as it comes, it's gone again. This week for Advent, we are talking about the gift of joy. But what if joy wasn't this elusive ghost that we had to try to catch? What if it wasn't attainable just this time of year, but all year? What if it wasn't this fragile, frail thing? What if it was this heavy thing that was in abundance? What if it was right in front of us and we just didn't know how to look for it? All we needed to do was pay attention. How would our lives be different if instead of chasing joy, we were full of it? We've been going through this series where we've been looking at the book of John for quite a long time now. And the next few verses of John, it seems like Jesus shows us where a joy like that could come from. And it's rooted in something deep and eternal. Here's the whole passage. It's John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. All right, all of this is connected to joy. And we will come back to it. But in order to see how it connects, we need to start at the beginning. So again, the first couple verses say this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The love that a father should have for their son, the love that a parent should have for their child is boundless. It is eternal, it is constant, it is impossible to define, and it is sacrificial. A parent would want to sacrifice anything for the sake of their child. And Jesus says, with the same boundless, eternal, unconditional love that my Father has for me, I have the same love for you. Jesus loves you beyond your comprehension, and it is endless, and it is unconditional. But these verses make it sound a bit conditional, don't they? If you abide, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. <clears throat> well, it's important to recognize what Jesus is not saying is if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. He's saying if you keep my commandments, then you'll abide in my love. He's talking about abiding here. 
And he's giving an invitation, not setting a condition. He's saying, my love for you is yours. It is constant. It is endless. Abide in it. I love you. Abide in my love. When you abide in something, you stay there. You remain there. You make your home in it. You surround yourself with it. You, you go inside of it and you become a part of it and it becomes a part of you. On a cold day, when you get on the couch and you wrap yourself in a warm blanket and you hold it up to your chin and maybe even drape it over your head, you are abiding in that blanket. You're surrounded with it. You have made your home in it and it is keeping you warm. It is a part of you and you are a part of it and you are staying there. You are remaining there. You guys remember Snuggies? Snuggies is the perfect example of abiding. You can't wear a Snuggie halfway. You're either in a Snuggie or you're not. And if you're in a Snuggie, you are abiding in that Snuggie. You have become a part of it and it is part of you and you have made your home in it. And if you are abiding in a Snuggie, you are abiding in your house because no one leaves the house in a Snuggie. Not even to Walmart. It breaks their dress code. Yes, they have one. No Snuggies. That's it. That's the only dress code of Walmart. When you get invited over to someone's house for dinner and you go there and you've never been there before, it's hard to abide. It's a bit awkward and uncomfortable. You ring the doorbell and you wait for them to let you in. And you don't know if you're supposed to take off your shoes or leave them on. And there's this weird, awkward dance in the entryway where you start talking and you keep talking and it feels like you should move to the living room, but it's weird for you to suggest that we move to their living room and keep talking and you don't know when dinner's gonna happen and you have to ask where the bathroom is, which is so weird and uncomfortable and, and it's hard to abide in that situation. But have you ever gone back to your childhood home to visit family? And you don't even ring the doorbell or knock, you just walk right in and you take off your shoes because you want to and it's comfortable and you lay on the couch and you take naps and you wear your pajamas and you don't feel guilty for anyone cooking for you and you eat out of the fridge without asking and you begin to revert back to the age that you were when you last lived there. That's when you are abiding. We abide in what feels like yours. You abide where you feel like you belong. And Jesus says, my love for you is yours. You belong there. Abide in my love. Come inside. Take off your shoes. Lay on the couch. Eat out of the fridge. Wrap my love around you like a blanket and get warm. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? How do we do that? Well, he tells us. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide in my love if you keep my commandments. So what are his commandments? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Every single time, every time Jesus explicitly gives a command in the Bible, it is always to do the exact same thing. Love others as I have loved you. So what Jesus is saying is if you love others like I have loved you, 
then you will abide in my love. We're not ready for that yet. Take it away. Too soon. Go away. If you abide in, if you love others like I have loved you, then you will abide in my love. Remember, Jesus' love for you is unconditional. It is constant. It is eternal. And abiding is not conditional either. Jesus is not talking about this exchange. If you do this for me, then I'll let you abide in my love. Jesus is talking about this very natural progression. He's saying, if you love others like I have loved you, then you are going to abide in my love. That's the cause and the effect. So how does loving other people cause us to abide in his love? When we love others like Jesus, a couple things happen. One of them is, is when we love others like Jesus, that love of Jesus that is beyond our comprehension, we actually begin to comprehend it a little bit when it flows out of us towards others. And when we love others like Jesus, we feel something inside and we become aware that Jesus is here with us in that moment and even right now as we speak. Let me explain. It's like this. You could, you could know in your head how to do something, but it is only when you actually do it that you comprehend it on a deeper level. A musician could look at a piece of music and know what it is supposed to sound like, but it is only when they play it that they begin to understand it. A chemist could work out an equation on a piece of paper, but it is only when they try it out and experiment and mix those chemicals together and see the reaction that they understand it on a deeper level. A player on a football team could look at a play on a whiteboard and know what they were supposed to do, but it is only when they run the play for themselves that they understand it on a deeper level. I think all of us know that when we were children, a lot of love and patience went into raising us. But it's only when you babysit a child, or you help in tiny tots, or you raise a child of your own that you begin to really understand the love and patience that someone had for you when they were raising you. Same thing happens with Jesus. We can know that Jesus loves us, but it is only when we love others like Jesus has loved us and we feel that love flowing through us like water cutting through a riverbed. And we see that love from an entirely different angle, from the giving end instead of the receiving end, that we begin to comprehend the love that Jesus has for us on a much deeper level. But the other thing that happens when we love like Jesus is we begin to realize that he's actually here. When you do something the way that someone taught you, it feels like that they're there in that moment, doesn't it? Like when you make your grandparents' recipe, it feels like that they are in the kitchen, watching, smiling, or maybe shaking their head in disappointment because you're burning it. You did it wrong, but it feels like that they're there. When you do something the way that your parent or your teacher or your coach or your mentor taught you to do it, it feels like that they're there in that moment. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to her grandmother's funeral. And at the funeral, most of the people, they talked about how her grandma just loved every single person that she met so intentionally. 
Like it was weird, like a, she would strike up a conversation with a random stranger and within minutes they were just bearing their soul to her, weeping, and she was caring for them and consoling them. Like her kids would turn around and all of a sudden her mom was holding someone else's baby. It's like, where did this baby come from? Like she, she was just able to connect with people instantly. I was talking to one of her sons after the funeral. He, he's retired now, but he told me that he's been working part-time as a cashier at a grocery store to save up money for a vacation him and his wife want to go on. Uh, but he decided when he started, he was going to try to love every person that went through his line like his mother would. And after a couple weeks, he started to notice that his line was longer than everybody else's. Because people knew that if they were in Doug's line, he would ask how they're doing and he would really mean it. And if they answered honestly, he would really care for them. They knew that if they saw Doug, that they would be loved that day. If I remember correctly, he told me that one lady waited in line without any groceries. She had just had a hard day. So she went to the grocery store and waited in line and asked him for a hug. And he made everyone else in line wait as he came around the cashier station and gave her a big hug. He loved others like his mom loved. And it felt like she was there. It felt like she was loving those people through him. Same thing happens with Jesus, except better. When we love others like Jesus has loved us, it feels like he's there. But it doesn't feel like he's there because it feels like he's there. It feels like he's there because he is there. Because the Holy Spirit of Jesus dwells inside of you. And when you love others like Jesus, that's where it's coming from. And if you pay attention, you'll feel him moving inside of you. When you have that moment of like, where is this coming from? This is more love than I have for this person. You realize, oh, I know exactly where that's coming from. It's coming from him. And in that moment, we become so aware that he is there with us in that moment. When we love others like Jesus, we comprehend his love for us on a much deeper level and we realize that he is there and that causes us to go to him and say, Jesus, thank you. And we wrap his love around us like a warm blanket. There's a lot of back and forth mirrored language in this passage and I had to map it out to really understand it. And here's one of the ways that I did that. All right, so you see here, Jesus loves us and he tells us to love others just as he has loved us. But he says, when we love others just as he has loved us, we abide in his love. So here's how this works. I comprehend the way that Jesus loves me to a degree and to that degree, I try to love others like he has loved me. But when I do that, the Holy Spirit causes a love bigger than I previously comprehended to come out of me. And I realize the, if that's how I'm loving this person, that must be how Jesus loves me. And I feel him moving in that moment and I know to the, that he's there. So I go to him and I say, Jesus, thank you. I had no idea you loved me like that. And then the next time with that love, I try to love others like he loves me. But again, the Holy Spirit shows me an even bigger love and I know that he's there. So I go to him and I say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I had no idea you loved me like that. 
And it gets into this endless cycle of loving and abiding and loving and abiding. And when we step into that, and the love of Jesus is going over us and under us and through us and around us and it encircles us and it encases us and it surrounds us like a warm blanket and we abide in his love. But Jesus says something else happens too. Jesus loves you beyond your comprehension. When you love others, like he does, you begin to comprehend it and you realize that he's there and you go to him and you abide in his love. But Jesus says something else happens. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right, to see how this fits, we need to zoom out. Again, I had to map this out to really understand this back and forth language. So it works like this. The Father, God the Father loves God the Son like any father should. And then Jesus says, I love you. I'll go back one too soon. I love you just as the Father has loved me. Praise God. But then Jesus says, a commandment I give to you. Next slide. Love others just as I have loved you. And then he says, when we love others like he has loved us, just like we talked about, next slide, we abide in his love and we get caught in this loving and abiding and loving and abiding. But here's the crazy part. When I saw this, this blew my mind. He says, you will abide in my love just as I abide in the love of the Father. All right, get this. The loving and abiding relationship that Jesus is inviting us to have with him is the same loving and abiding relationship that God the Father and God the Son have with each other. Jesus is inviting us into the loving and abiding cycle that occurs within the Trinity itself. And he says, when we get swept into this, we are filled with joy, which I think looks like this. The joy that Jesus has in the loving and abiding with the Father is the same joy that he wants us to have in the loving and abiding with him. Somehow when we step into this loving and abiding cycle of Jesus, this back and forth loving and abiding that encircles us, creates, produces, brings joy, which brings us back to where we started. Joy. What the heck is joy? It's kind of an undefinable word, isn't it? But we gotta do something, because we can't call it happiness, or merriment, or the spirit of Christmas. That's not cutting it. I honestly had a really difficult time trying to wrap my mind around joy or put words to it. It's this feeling, but it's also an awareness, and it feels happy. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's both somehow, and it's random, and it's complicated, and it has this will of its own. And when I'm having a hard time putting words to something that's a common experience, I turn to poetry. So I texted my sister-in-law, who is a professor of literature, and I asked her, it's like, hey, when you think of joy, what poems come to mind? And what she sent me was incredible. And I'm going to share them with you. And 
some of you might feel like I'm throwing a lot at you. And I know some of you aren't poetically minded, or at least you think you're not. I have a higher view of you than that. But please, do not try to retain all of this, all right? That's not the point. Just listen, and if something sticks, and you think, ah, that's right, just hold on to that, okay? Deal? All right. This first one is by an Israeli poet named Yehuda Amichai. And it goes like this. The precision of pain and the blurriness of joy. I'm thinking how precise people are when they describe their pain in a doctor's office. Even those who haven't learned to read and write are precise. This one's a throbbing pain. That one's a wrenching pain. This one gnaws. That one burns. This is a sharp pain. And that, a dull one, right here, precisely here. Yes, yes. Joy blurs everything. I've heard people say after a night of love and feasting, it was great. I was in seventh heaven. Even the spaceman who floated in outer space, tethered to a spaceship, could say only, great, wonderful. I have no words. The blurriness of joy and the precision of pain. I want to describe with a sharp pain's precision happiness and blurry joy. I learned to speak among the pains. Yes, exactly. Joy feels so blurry, doesn't it? It's so hard to describe, you can't focus on it. It's just like this feeling that just goes, you know? And it doesn't help that it's complicated. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it does make sense. Sometimes it's very expected. Like there are moments where joy makes sense and it's expected. Like when someone you love shows up unexpectedly to just say hi or to bring you something, there's joy in that moment. When a baby is born, when a bride walks down the aisle and looks at her groom and her groom looks at her, there's joy in that moment. That makes sense. But there's moments where it doesn't. Moments where you're totally caught off guard. You're just watching a show and suddenly you're weeping. There are moments that are sad where joy should not come and yet it does. The poet Liesl Mueller, she wrote this poem on joy and she was trying to describe this experience that she had where she was listening to this song and she felt something like joy and sadness at the same time. She said it like this. It has nothing to do with the passing of time. It's not about loss. It's about two seemingly parallel lines suddenly coming together inside us in some place that is still wilderness. Joy, joy, the sopranos sing, reaching for the shimmering notes while our eyes fill with tears. Yes, she nailed it. Joy is blurry. It is complicated, like two parallel lines coming together in a place that is wilderness. And joy is also so random and so difficult to define. The poet Christian Wyman, he wrote this about joy. I'm so excited to show this to you. This is brilliant. Joy, that durable, inexhaustible, essential, and adequate word. That's something in the soul that makes one able to claim again the word soul. That sensation more exalting than happiness, less graspable than hope, 
though both of these feelings are implicated, challenged, changed, that seed of being that can bud even in our circumstance of ice, as Daniel Chapman puts it. So that faith is suddenly not something someone need, one need contemplate, struggle for, or even have really, but is simply there as the world is there. There's no way to plan for, much less conjure such an experience. One can only try to make oneself fit to feel the moment when it comes and let it carry you where it will. Isn't that good? Man, he's brilliant. Joy is blurry. It is complicated. It is random. It is seemingly impossible to define. And then I read a poem about peaches. This is so good. This is by Lee Young Lee. From blossoms comes this brown paper bag of peaches we bought from the boy at the bend in the road where we turned towards signs painted peaches. From laden bows, from hands, from sweet fellowship in the bins, comes nectar at the roadside, succulent peaches we devour, dusty skin and all. Comes the familiar dust of summer, dust we eat. Oh, to take what we love inside, to carry within us an orchard, to eat, not only the skin, but the shade. Not only the sugar, but the days. To hold the fruit in our hands, adore it, then bite into the round jubilance of peach. There are days we live as if death were nowhere. In the background, from joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom to sweet impossible blossom as if death were nowhere. When I read that, that felt right. That felt like the common denominator of joy. And it caused something else that Christian Wyman said about joy to stand out. He described the feeling of joy as a flash of eternity. The feeling of joy is a flash of eternity. And I think that's true because I don't think joy can coexist with the idea that death is the end. The essence of joy is eternity. When someone we love shows up unexpectedly, we are so caught off guard, we are not thinking about the past, we are not thinking about the future, we are sucked into the eternal present. We are not thinking about them leaving because they just arrived and we had no idea that it was coming. When a baby is born, we are experiencing the opposite of death. We are seeing the beginning of new life. That child could not be farther from death. When a bride walks down the aisle and looks at her groom and her groom looks at her, it feels like we're witnessing something that won't end. The feeling of joy is a flash of eternity. There are some words that I think, or some things that I think are beyond words, and sometimes we try too hard to define them, but this is the best description of joy I've ever heard, and I think that it's true, because true joy is grounded in the reality that death is not the end. Jesus made sure of it. Remember, he loves you beyond your comprehension. So much so that he forgave us and he came to earth to rescue us from death. 
And so he died instead. And somehow, paradoxically, when he did that, it broke death. And he came back to prove it, to tell us the good news that death is not the end. And he has invited us into eternity with him. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Does hearing that cause a flash of eternity to shoot through you? Does it bring you joy? Sometimes joy, it's not this tangible feeling. Sometimes it's this awareness. Sometimes it's this this knowing. It's an awareness of eternity. It's the knowledge in the back of our mind that gets us through the hardest experiences in life. It's this knowing that one day God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more and there will be no mourning or crying or pain. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann said, joy revolts against the destruction of life. And I think he's right. Joy is the reason why we can grieve at funerals but also tearfully sing and even laugh almost like this act of rebellion against the idea that we'll never see our loved one again because we know that we will because Jesus has rescued us from death. We don't have to distract ourselves from reality to experience joy because joy is remembering reality. Joy is remembering that we live in the reality of eternity. Death is not the end. Jesus loves you beyond your comprehension. But when we love others like Jesus, we begin to comprehend it a little bit and we sense that he's there and that causes us to abide and go to him and say thank you and wrap that love around us like a warm blanket. But when we enter into this never-ending eternal cycle of loving and abiding and loving and abiding that takes place within the Trinity itself, It grounds us to eternity and fills us with joy. So how does loving others and how does abiding in Jesus' love bring joy? When we step into that unending cycle of loving and abiding and loving and abiding, one of the aspects of Jesus' love that we are reminded of is that his love for us is eternal. It never ends. It is constant. It is unconditional. Nothing can separate us from his love. And we're reminded that out of that love, Jesus rescued us from death, like we just talked about. And he's invited us into eternity. The nature of Jesus' love for us is eternity. And it is rooted in eternity and his love grounds us into eternity. Joy. But there's even more joy that comes from loving others like Jesus. Because when we love other people like Jesus has loved us, that's when we are living our lives as if all of that were true. When we love like Jesus, it's like leaping out in faith to see and experience for ourselves the reality of eternity. Jesus says, love others like I have loved you. Lay down your life for others. 
That doesn't mean dying necessarily. That's very unlikely. But what it means is setting ourselves aside and giving what we have for the sake of other people. And when we do this, we experience it for ourselves. Think of the last time you gave something significant to someone in need. Do you remember that warm, elated feeling you felt inside? Tell me that wasn't joy. Tell me that wasn't a flash of eternity. Jesus loves us so sacrificially and even died for us because he knew that death was not the end. He lives in the reality of eternity. And he tells us to love others like him because we live in the reality of eternity. Death is not the end. Death traps us in fear and causes us to hold on to everything that we've got for dear life. But eternity sets us free to let go so that we can embrace the reality of eternity, joy. If death is the end, then everything Jesus is asking us to do is reckless and it is foolish. And self-preservation makes all the sense in the world. But in the reality of eternity, what is the point of self-preservation? That's already guaranteed, which means eternity sets us free to let go and experience it for ourselves. Again, think of the last time you helped someone. Was that not joy? There have been a couple times in, in uh, my life where my wife and I, we have felt compelled to give what felt like a reckless amount of money to a friend in need or someone in need or something like that. And every single time we've done that, we have never wanted our money back. Because every time we did that, our eyes were opened and we got this flash of joy, this flash of eternity. And we realized we never needed that. We can give it all away even if it was just for a moment. We experienced more joy from giving it away than we did from holding on to it. If death is the end, then what Jesus is asking us to do is like asking us to jump off of a cliff. It's reckless, it's foolish, it's self-destructive. What's the point? But in the reality of eternity, what Jesus is asking us to do is more like a bird jumping out of the nest for the first time to prove to itself that it can fly. And once it sees that it can, does it ever stop? There is so much joy in knowing that Jesus' love for us is eternal. And joy knowing that he has rescued us from death and invited us into eternity with him. But there is more joy to be had when we live as if that is actually true and we love others like Jesus. What gives a bird more joy, knowing it has wings or flying? What gives a musician more joy, holding an instrument or playing it? What gives a dancer more joy, hearing the rhythm of a song or moving to it? The Holy Spirit of Jesus dwells inside of you and it longs to love like Jesus, like a bird longs to fly, like a musician longs to play, like a dancer longs to move. So what would bring more joy to a human being containing the Holy Spirit of Jesus inside of them? Knowing that they are loved 
or experiencing the love of Jesus flowing out of them into the lives of those around them. When we love others like Jesus, it grounds us to eternity so that we experience not just flashes, but a steady stream of it, joy. Jesus loves you beyond your comprehension. When we love others like him, we begin to comprehend it and we see that he's here and we abide in that love and when we step into that endless cycle of loving and abiding and loving and abiding, that love that is grounded in eternity grounds us to eternity. And when we love like Jesus loves, we live in it and we are filled with joy. When we love like Jesus has loved us, we abide in his love and we're filled with joy. I know that the next couple of weeks might not be the best for some of us. Some of us might be dreading the next couple of weeks. Maybe we have all year. Maybe they're painful. Maybe they're difficult. Maybe they're full of manipulation or pressure or whatever. I don't know. Or sadness or loss or grief. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in forced merriment this year. I'm more interested in something like this. So as I've been preparing to talk to you guys about this, I've been trying to actually practice this. And I want to encourage you to do the thing that I've been doing that has been incredibly effective. And it's as simple as this. Just try paying attention. Guys, you guys, you, you love so well. You truly do. I hear stories about it all the time. You love each other so well. You love others so well. A lot of you have loved me in these ways that have just blown my mind. That's, that's already happening. What I'm saying is pay attention to the love flowing out of you so that you can see where it's coming from. The Holy Spirit of Jesus inside of you. Pay attention to the love flowing out of you so that you can see that that is just a glimpse of the love that Jesus has for you. Pay attention to the love flowing out of you so you can see that it is its very nature is eternal and it is grounded to eternity and it grounds us to eternity. Pay attention to that. Just watch that cycle naturally occur so that we don't just experience these random flashes of eternity, but a steady stream of it so that we are filled with joy. Let's pray. Jesus, what do we say in response to the love that you have for us? It's kind of like joy. It's beyond words. How do we adequately thank you and express appreciation? So I guess knowing our hearts, we say thank you. Would you help us to pay attention? Would you help us to see your love for us in a way that we haven't before? Would you help us to see and experience the love flowing out of us 
like a river experiences water. Would you help us to touch it, to taste it, and to see that the love that comes from us is just a fraction of the love that is coming towards us from you. Jesus, your love for us is boundless and it is eternal. There are a lot of things in our life that feel like death. And they are the loudest and they are the scariest and they feel like the strongest. And we are tired of being trapped in fear. We would much rather be set free to let go and to experience joy and living in the reality of eternity. Would you help us just step by step learn how to do this more? Learn from your love, experience your love. And would you help us to see joy for what it is when we experience these Flashes of joy help us to see them as these flashes of eternity, this moment where we remember reality, that we live in eternity. Now, death is not the end. Thank God. Thank you. We know that we're not always going to experience this. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment to believe that we are but help us to learn. Help us to hold on to these random glimpses of what we will one day step into fully with our whole being. We look forward to that day, but as best as we can, we step into that day now. Jesus, thank you. It's with these things in mind that we take time out of our night to worship you. Hey, so wherever you are at after this message, if something's stirring in you um, or the Lord just spoke to you during this time and you want to talk about it or have somebody pray with you, we are here for you. Uh, you can go onto our website. We have a chat button on there and we always have somebody there that will talk with you, pray with you. Um, but we just want to be here as a support. We hope you were inspired today. Um, and again, make sure to like and subscribe so that you can get more content in your feed.